Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to focus on a major trend in the financial services sector. It has to do with a relatively new investment product known as an exchange-traded fund, or ETF. To help us learn more about ETFs, we've brought on an expert guest. He's Michael Ikeni. Michael Ikeni is Vice President, Head of Manager Research for Charles Schwab Investment Advisory. In this role, Michael leads Schwab's research effort on mutual fund and exchange-traded fund lists, as well as separately managed accounts and alternative investments. His work can be found in articles for Schwab Investors and in the Schwab ETF Select List and Schwab Mutual Fund OneSource Select List. Michael has been at Schwab since 2004 and holds both the Chartered Financial Analyst and Certified Financial Planner designations. Michael lives in Denver, Colorado with his wife and, get this, six cats and he loves playing and occasionally designing modern board games. Well, hi, Michael. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Michael, I must tell you this. I have had, you're now the 38th guest expert. And if you have no other distinction, I'm sure you will. And that will be your expertise in financial services. Although I had one other guest who was an expert in a different area Mm -hmm. you will definitely have the distinction of having the most cats of any person (laughs) that i've ever spoken with on looking forward so congratulations yes all six of them all six of them thank you i I will accept your congratulations with pride michael can you please share with us how and when you first became interested in exchange traded funds what we'll be referring to as etfs and tell us just a little bit more Mm -hmm. about what your role is at schwab concerning exchange-traded funds, ETFs. Yeah. So I got interested in ETFs a little before I came to Schwab. I used to work for the pension fund for the state of Florida called the State Board of Administration. Uh, That was my first job in finance out of college. And at that time, there were a lot of professional money managers who would buy these things called ETFs on behalf of the pension fund and ultimately the the investors and retirees and so on. And these would show up in these big documents of financial statements and somebody had to understand what is this thing because it wasn't a stock, it wasn't a bond, but there it is in our portfolio. So I learned what they were and how they worked um, because the people at the pension had some questions about that. And then when I joined Schwab back in 2004, there really wasn't an ETF expert like that at Schwab. And here I was in the research world at Schwab and I volunteered. I said, well, I, I know a thing or two about these. I can help answer questions that come in when clients ask, or maybe a, a financial consultant asks about one ETF or another. I, I was able to do the research and say, sure, here's how that works. And here are the ETFs we like. So I kind of became the ETF expert. And now these days, um, in 2021, I now oversee um, a pretty big team at Schwab of 17 researchers. Wow. We cover lots of different investment products, so mutual funds and separately managed accounts, alternative investments. These are all interesting things. But one very big important one that we cover are ETFs. So I oversee 
the ETF research that goes into lists that we publish and some of the money that we manage for Schwab clients. Okay, that's interesting how you got involved and became the resident expert. You were sort yeah. of ahead of everybody there. I was. I was kind of lucky to, to know about a thing that was going to become much bigger over time. Absolutely. We'll get back to this in a little bit in more detail. But just for now, you're talking about when you were in Florida and you first saw these ETFs, mm -hmm. like around the turn of the century, about like 2000. Yeah, this would have been 2002, 2003, 2004, somewhere in that time frame. Very interesting. Way ahead yeah. of us. Now, for the benefit of those, Michael, who are not familiar with ETFs, or maybe they're unclear about what exactly they are, can you please explain to us what exchange traded funds are? And something I'm sure that a lot of people might not be clear about is how they differ from what most of us are very familiar with, mm -hmm. mutual funds. Sure. So I'm going to assume that not every listener here is a financial expert or investing expert. So kind of starting at the beginning of you know, what a fund is, um, imagine that you've got some money to invest and you say, I like to have my money in the stock market, but I don't really know how to do that. Um, I could buy a stock. There's lots of companies out there and I've heard of lots of them. I might shop at a store or buy a product made by some company, but I'm worried that I might be unlucky. I might buy the one stock that it turns out loses money while the rest of the market is rising. And, and I don't want that to happen. And I'm not an expert on buying stocks. So what I might prefer to do is say, look, can I take my money and pool it with a bunch of other people's money and let's all together hire somebody who is an expert on stocks. And that person is going to say, all right, let's take all this money, buy a bunch of different stocks that this professional money manager thinks are a good portfolio. And they'll keep on managing it, changing things, taking care of money flowing in and out, et cetera. And they'll do that for a fee. But this way, I'm not responsible for picking the stock. We've hired somebody to do it. And now I have hundreds or thousands of different stocks all for my one investment. That's what a fund does. And that could be a mutual fund, which have been around since 1920s, or it could be an exchange traded fund, an ETF, which started in 1993. So both of these mutual funds and ETFs are what we call a diversified portfolio. There will be a lot of different stocks or maybe a lot of different bonds or commodities all within one investment that you can make in your account. Now, an ETF is a little different from a mutual fund. Largely right there in the name, it says exchange traded fund. That means that these things trade on an exchange just like a stock does. Mutual funds, by contrast, if you want to put money into a mutual fund or take money out, you let your mutual fund company or your broker know. And at the end of the trading day, they'll put your money to work or take your money out to, to give back to you. But that all happens after the market day is over. ETFs are trading all day long like stocks. So they're going up and down in, in value. Um, so with that secondary market trading that we call it, like a stock does, it means that you have to think about things like, what's the difference between the price at which I could buy the ETF now that might be a little bit higher and the price that I could sell that same ETF, which is probably a little lower. There's a spread there called the bid ask spread. Every stock has it, every ETF has it. Mutual funds don't, but mutual funds, you can only trade once per day. So some differences there in how they trade. Uh, the other thing I'll say about uh, ETFs is most of them, not all, but most of them, especially historically, are what we call index products. So that means that professional money manager who's putting all this money together and buying stocks, they're not trying to be a genius and say, here are the 10 stocks that are going to do better than everything else. Um, they're saying, I'm just going to buy the market. So you hear about the S&P 500 index, you know, 500 big US companies, lots of other indexes. Most of these ETFs, 
the really popular ones in particular, are tracking a whole lot of different things without anybody saying these are the good ones and those are the bad ones. They're just saying, hey, the market is what I want to own. So if the market goes up, we make money. If the market goes down, we lose money. Uh, and some of them are pretty exotic markets. You can get ETFs that are in little niche parts of you know, foreign markets or commodities, like I said. Uh, and some of those are much riskier. They'll swing wildly up and down. Uh, but, but a lot of them are these kind of big, broad indexes that are very well diversified. The last thing I'll mention that's a difference about how these ETFs and mutual funds trade is because ETFs trade like stocks, most of the time you have to buy a whole share at a time. I'm going to buy five shares or 10 shares or whatever. Now, some places you can get fractions, but the good news is with mutual funds, you can always trade fractions. You can say, I have $2,000 and I want to buy, put all 2,000 into this mutual fund. And depending on the value of that fund on a day, your broker might say, oh, here you go. Here's 18.442 shares or some random number. Uh, it'll be the exact dollar amount you want to put to work. With ETFs, sometimes you can do that, but, but a lot of the time you're just trading shares. And so it might be you want exactly 2,000, but it's got to be a little more or a little less depending on what the price of the ETF shares are. So there's a lot of uh, similarities between ETFs and mutual funds. And these differences in trading are getting smaller over time with that ability to trade a fraction of an ETF share some places or the ability to trade an ETF without having to pay a stock trading commission. That tends to be the case most of the time these days. Um, it makes it so that ETFs and mutual funds are getting more similar. But either way, it's a big basket of securities, broadly diversified, um, that you can put one trade and now you have a lot of different things that'll go up and down as the market goes up and down. Okay, that's helpful. So a lot of them are what I guess would be called passively managed. Exactly. Yes. An is index fund is passively managed. One other quick follow-up question without you're getting too technical. Sure. Keep it as simplistic as you can. <laughs> you got it. Are there tax advantages or disadvantages having one that is a mutual fund mm -hmm. versus having another, i.e. an ETF? Sure. So there are some differences. Um, first, I'll mention that if you're talking about investing in, say, an IRA, you know, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, you're not going to care too much one way or the other about taxes because they're all tax deferred. So mutual fund, ETF, take your pick. But if you have some money that's in what we call a taxable brokerage account, just a regular account that you have to you know, pay taxes on every year with a 1099 statement you get, et cetera, um, then yes, there are some subtle differences. It tends to be the case that ETFs are a little more tax efficient than mutual funds. Um, not in every case, not all the time, but usually the ETF is gonna be a little better if you care about minimizing your taxes. And there's two reasons for that. Um, one is that index piece, that passive management piece. The way that you're gonna owe taxes just from buying and holding an investment is gonna be if they pay you some money in, over the course of the year. If you buy something, hold it for 10 years and you sell it for more than you bought it for, you might not owe any taxes along the way until you sell and you realize a capital gain, but sometimes you'll get a distribution. And that's what people are worried about when they talk about tax efficiency of a mutual fund or an ETF. Do I get a distribution from the fund in December? And now I have to report that distribution as taxable income. It might be dividends, in which case that's fine. Both mutual funds and ETFs might give you dividends. You do owe some taxes on that. Um, and, and there's no difference between how mutual funds and ETFs handle dividends. Where there is a difference is what's called capital gains. So if that money manager who's running the fund um, bought a stock a while ago, it went up a lot in value, and then the manager sells that stock, 
Well, that manager realized a capital gain for the fund, and the fund has to pay out that capital gain every year. They have to pay out 90% of their gains to their investors. Um, so it's good news that they made money. You're happy about that, but you'd rather not have to pay taxes on it every single year when they make some money. You'd rather hold on to it and then sell it when you're retired and, uh, and pay taxes maybe at a lower rate if you're in retirement. So mutual funds are more likely to make a capital gains distribution in part because most of them are actively managed. If you have somebody who sells a stock and because they think it's not going to go up anymore, um, well, that's going to happen more with an active manager who's making decisions. With a passive manager, an index manager, they're just not trading very much. They're going to mostly buy and hold these stocks for years and years and years. So not a lot of trading means not a lot of capital gains. The other piece, I don't want to put too much stock in, but it is true that even with an index fund, you might see the ETF that's tracking a similar index be a little less likely to distribute capital gains. And that gets a bit complicated to the way new shares of the ETF get created and redeemed. With a mutual fund, investors are literally giving money to the fund manager or getting money out of the fund from the fund manager directly, which might mean the fund manager has to literally sell some stocks if a bunch of investors want their money out. With an ETF, it doesn't tend to work that way. There are these swaps where an ETF manager will work with a big market maker and say, oh, you have a bunch of clients who want money out. Here are the underlying stocks we own. We're not going to sell them. We're going to give them to you, the market maker, um, rather than giving you cash. So there's nothing for us to sell. And they can use that process to try to minimize the amount of these capital gains they send out. So a little extra tax efficiency for the ETFs, but it's not a huge difference. Not a huge difference. Thank you for explaining that, Michael. Sure. Looking Forward, as you know, focuses on the future. That's why it's called Looking Forward in part. Mm-hmm. The other is the positive spin. But to do that, we first like to look a little bit backwards. So what would you say are some of the major developments over the past two or three decades that have led to the surge in interest among investors in ETFs? Now, we're talking about, Michael, leading up to the time COVID hit us in the winter of 2020. Mm -hmm. And who started these ETFs and about when were they started? Sure. So going back to the beginning of ETFs, the very, very first one actually launched on the Toronto Stock Exchange just before they launched in the US. But the idea came from the US. And uh, the very first US ETF, the one that a lot of people know, um, the ticker symbol is SPY, the Spider S&P 500, oh. that fund launched in, I believe it was January of 1993. Wow. So when you talk about the last two to three decades, we don't even have three decades of ETF <laughs> history yet. They're, they're a little too new for that. All right. <laughs> um, and, and so at the beginning, it was just one fund. This was a new thing. And the idea was for these big institutional investors, pension funds, like the one I worked for, or maybe endowments, foundations, hedge funds, to have um, a new kind of investment vehicle where they could trade exposure to the market, here represented by the Standard Poor's 500 Index. So kind of a new innovation, the exchange itself, the American Stock Exchange at the time was involved in this, as well as State Street Global Advisors, which is the, the portfolio manager. They, they got together um, along with a bunch of lawyers and people who figured out, can we even do this yeah. to say, this is a new idea, let's try it out for these institutional investors. So that was 93. Um, and through the first 15 years or so of their existence leading up to the financial crisis in 2008, you saw more ETFs launching. So a few years after the, the first one launched, you, you saw a few others come along that would invest in mid-cap stocks, small-cap stocks, um, international stocks came onto the scene, new companies started launching products. Uh, eventually, we saw some ETFs that invested in bonds. They didn't exist at the beginning, but you can buy bonds in an ETF. Uh, gold was a new one that came along and got a lot of attention. And, oh, you can trade gold in a, in a brokerage account. That's new. Um, so a lot of innovation in types of products 
And then the credit crisis hit um, back in 2007, 2008, um, and, and <laughs> echoed beyond for several years. And that financial crisis, we saw a lot of investors starting to rethink um, their long-term investments. And they say, well, maybe I own a lot of mutual funds right now that I'm holding for retirement. And, and I mentioned before that ETFs tend to be passively managed index products. And if you compare that to say an actively managed mutual fund, one of the big differences there that you're likely to see is the fees that the investment manager is charging to run that portfolio. If you have an active manager who's hiring a big team of analysts, um, maybe they're building sophisticated computer models, uh, that person is probably gonna have to charge a fair amount just to cover their costs of doing all this. You compare that to a manager who's saying, instead, I'm tracking this list of stocks that changes a little bit from time to time as new companies come in and companies grow and shrink, but overall there's not a lot of activity, um, then for that manager, you don't need a whole team of analysts researching every company. You're just trying to match this index very closely. So it means that you tend to see much, much lower annual fees to run an index ETF. And I think in the financial crisis, we saw a lot of investors start to wake up and pay attention to that. And they said, oh, um, maybe this ETF thing is a good idea for me. I could save some of my, my money. I, I can't say the, the market's not going to go down. I could still lose money that way, but at least I won't be paying as much in fees. And we saw a lot of interest now from individual investors, not just advisors, but regular people who have their own investment account started taking more interest in ETFs and the assets started flowing in more steadily um, and a lot of assets flowing out of these higher cost actively managed mutual funds. So that's, that had been a trend for quite a while leading up to the pandemic. And when uh, the COVID pandemic hit and, and really things started shutting down in the US in March of 2020, um, one of the things that shut down that's gotten some in, uh, attention in the financial press is um, there were no more sports running. And there are an awful lot of people out there who like to get some excitement with their money. And, and oftentimes they'll try to get that excitement by betting on sports, <laughs> legally yeah. or not. Yeah. And, uh, and we definitely saw a lot of people who were looking for some excitement um, starting to turn to investing in individual stocks and also investing in individual ETFs. And I think a lot of investors just had some time on their hands, you know, people who some folks were out of work, but some folks were working from home and didn't have to commute anymore. Uh, and I think it just led to a lot more attention on investing, not just for the long term for retirement, but, you know, for excitement. And we definitely saw a lot of interest in ETFs that were actively managed. Those do exist. It maybe have somewhat higher fees um, or ETFs that are investing in little niches of the market that are intended to be riskier. They're going to swing up and down more because there's more perhaps excitement to be had there. So it's been interesting to see over the last year and change um, different parts of the market. You know, The big stable ETFs still growing nicely, still seeing a lot of assets, but also some of those higher risk, you know, actively managed ETFs have, have started to get some more attention in the last year. That's very interesting, particularly the part about the, the betters. I wouldn't have even thought about that. Comeback question for you on this. Sure. John Bogle, mm -hmm. I don't know if he originated the idea of the index funds, but he certainly was a big proponent of oh, index yes. funds. But they were index funds that were mutual funds. Mm -hmm. So why didn't people just buy mutual fund index funds? Why did they need ETF? Yeah. index funds because mutual fund index funds are low cost too. Exactly. Yeah. And, and some people think get confused when they hear, oh, ETFs are low cost. So I should sell my index mutual fund and buy an ETF. Well, no, no. If, if you like your index mutual fund, it's probably very low cost too. So yeah, no need to incur a bunch of taxes by moving to an ETF. Um, but yeah, ETFs, I think 
appealed to a different audience of investors than the kind of investors who were following Jack Bogle and already knew about low cost indexing and the benefits there. Um, you know, that was really a lot of a lot of individual investors, but ETFs being pitched more toward these big institutions, um, you know, some big market makers, active traders, uh, those folks, they knew about index funds. They, they you know, they're, they're savvy. They know about the financial markets. But I think that the presence of something that you can still trade actively if you want to, which an ETF, you can, mutual fund, that's harder to do, but it's still low cost and, and gives you broad diversification. That package of tradability plus the low cost diversification was something that the ETF had that the index mutual fund didn't. So I think that just got more people thinking about, oh, maybe this is something I would want to trade in my stock account, as opposed to oh, an index mutual fund. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll stick some money there and forget about it for the next 20 years. Um, it seemed boring in comparison. ETFs, I think, are still an exciting part of finance, but they deliver some of the same benefits that an index mutual fund would, that low cost, long-term diversification. Thank you for clarifying that. Sure. It's obvious from what you've said and from what we hear and read that the interest in ETFs has grown significantly. I'd like to ask you, how big would you say the ETF business is now, Michael? And in terms of funds out there, and you don't have to give any exact number, but roughly sure. speaking, assets that may be in the funds. And you had mentioned that there was an addition to the buyers of ETFs from the individual investor population. Mm -hmm. So can you quantify any of these things for our listeners so they get a sense as to maybe how big it has grown, that whole industry, and uh, where it might stand now? Sure. Yeah, so right now, um, my, my team, we use a lot of data from Morningstar, a big data provider out there that sure. some investors might be familiar with. And uh, we have data as of the end of March of 2021, so where we are at the end of the first quarter. So total assets in U.S. ETFs, so here in America, um, there are just under six trillion dollars invested wow. in ETF assets here in the US, which wow. for me, having been you know following ETF since 2002, 2003 is amazing. <laughs> just the yeah. amount of growth is tremendous. Um, and that those assets are spread over just over 2,500 different ETFs. So a wow. lot of different specific wow. products out there. Um, there's also a lot of breadth in the companies that are running those 2,500 ETFs. Some of them are really well-known names, including Schwab, where I work, but there are uh, 186 different what Morningstar calls branding names uh, or ETF providers that are, that are making up those 2,500 funds. So a lot of dollars, a lot of different funds, a lot of healthy competition, I would say, among these ETF providers. Now, the one thing I don't really have numbers on is how many individuals own ETFs. Okay. Um, but, but Schwab has done some surveys about investor interest. And I think we've been doing this for over 10 years now. And it's clear that you know, year after year, the amount of ETF, amount of investors who say, I know what an ETF is, keeps going up. I'm using ETFs, keeps going up. I'm interested in using ETFs more, keeps going up very steadily, whether we're in you know, financial crisis, COVID pandemic, or, or steady growth times in between or after. Um, investors more and more are getting the message that ETFs are a tool that they probably should know about. Isn't that interesting? And the growth has been enormous. I can only imagine what it was back in the day in 2002 and three and four when you were getting much more into it. Yeah, we were well below that one trillion mark. Now that we're at six, I think they were, you know, maybe a couple hundred billion, which is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. Nothing like we have today. Yeah. Now we have listeners who are not in the United States. Mm -hmm. Some of them are from that country that you mentioned where the exchange exists 
where the first ETF, I think, was found, the Toronto yep. Exchange. That's right. So we have Canadians, and then we have people in many other countries, certainly in Europe and Asia. So how would you say the ETF business has grown or not in these other countries around the world? Is what you're seeing and describing in the United States something that's happening elsewhere too, Michael? And are there particular places where it's happening more so? There, there definitely are other countries where the ETF business has been picking up. We don't have data as of the end of March yet for the worldwide ETFs, but we have it as of the end of February. And the vast majority of the worldwide ETF assets, according to Morningstar's data, are in the US. It's about 71% of the just over $8 trillion in ETFs are in the US. So this is by far the biggest ETF market. Um, now, there are other countries, though, where you can see where there are ETFs domiciled, as they call it in the business. Um, so Ireland is the next biggest for, for domicile. Mm. It's about 10%. It doesn't necessarily mean they're all Irish investors, to be clear. I think a lot of times in Europe, you'll see um, certain countries get a lot of the product listings. But if you live in another country within the European Union, it might be easy to buy an Ireland domiciled product, even if you live in, say, Germany or France, et cetera. So 10% in Ireland. Um, next biggest is Japan at about 7%. Hmm. Uh, we stay in Europe then for Luxembourg at the next 4%, another one of those convenient countries to domicile products. Uh, Canada has about 3% of the assets. And then the, the last couple that have even 1% are Germany and Australia. So US biggest by far at over 71%. Um, but you know, Ireland, Japan, Luxembourg, Canada, Germany, Australia are the next six. Excellent. Thanks for quantifying that. Yeah. Just to come back with another question based on something you said mm -hmm. about somebody from one country investing in another country, as mm -hmm. might happen with Ireland, let's sure. say. Okay. Do you know whether or not there are a lot of foreign investors putting money into U.S. ETFs? I don't know all the details, but I can tell you that a lot of the financial regulations across countries make it less attractive to do that sort of thing, if you even can, in part for tax reasons. So it gets a little beyond my deep area of expertise, but I do know there are some disadvantageous taxes that come into play when you try to invest outside your country. So it can happen, but I think most of those U.S. dollars are from U.S. investors. Okay. Now, you talked about this a little bit, Michael, from the perspective of the betting population. Okay. Yes. Something I wouldn't have even thought about, but it makes a lot of sense. Sure. And hearing you say it since COVID hit us, what impact do you think the pandemic has had on ETF investing, including the demand for ETFs among personal investors? There clearly was already a trend that had begun way before COVID. Mm -hmm. Has COVID had any impact whatsoever from your vantage point at Schwab on the interest in the buying of ETFs, particularly by personal investors? Sure. So COVID has definitely had an impact on investing in general, not just in ETFs. Um, I think there's been widely publicized uh, booms in people opening up some kind of brokerage account, whether it's you know at Schwab or elsewhere, oftentimes to trade stocks, you know, not just ETFs. Um, so a lot of you know meme stocks getting attention recently, but but this boom really did start around the time of lockdowns hitting uh, last uh, last spring, um, you know, March April timeframe. Things really began, and a lot of individual investors who maybe never invested before got interested. Part of that, where it's connected to ETFs too, is that this came on the heels of late 2019, 
Uh, Schwab uh, was one of the first big brokerages, and then most of the others fell in line to eliminate trading commissions. Um, so instead of having, you know, back in the day, I think when I started, trading commissions were around $20 every time you place a stock trade or an ETF trade, and they dropped down to like $10 and $8 and $5. And then eventually, in late 2019, just a few months before the pandemic hit, um, we saw most of the brokerages led by Schwab move to $0 for online trading commissions for stocks and, and ETFs. And I think that encouraged a lot of people to say, oh, well, maybe this investing thing is something I could try. I could put a few bucks into a stock here or there, or maybe an ETF on the other side. Uh, now, I don't think it's just those, those small accounts, you know, somebody who has a few hundred dollars and they want to play around with it or something. I think lots of big investors continue to put money into ETFs too. But for the year ending in uh, March of 2021, so really the, pan the first pandemic year, hopefully there won't be another one this soon, but, no. but for the first year period, yeah. um, we saw almost $700 billion flowed into US ETFs over that time period. So I mentioned about 6 trillion total in US ETFs. More than 10% of that was new money flowing in over the course of the last year. So that's that's a lot of, uh, of investor interest. And, uh, and I think that as investors have open brokerage accounts, you know, maybe they got into it just to, to trade a stock for fun. Um, I think a lot of them have discovered ETFs. They've just learned about it by being exposed, saying, hey, I'm an investor now. Oh, interesting, ETFs. I think that those investors are likely to get more comfortable with what an ETF is, how it works, why it might be good for them. Um, and I, I think we're going to see some of that money stick into these longer term ETF holders over time. Fascinating. Now, here's one thing I wonder, mm -hmm. based on what you said, millions of people have lost jobs mm -hmm. because of COVID, not to mention the half a million lives or more that have been mm -hmm. lost. So those people who lost their jobs certainly didn't have money to invest. Who were these persons? Were they taking money out of something else and just exchanging it for exchange traded funds? Because yeah. we had, it seems like we had a lot of people who had a lot less money. Yeah. In the well, Where's this money coming from, Michael? So you, you might've seen stories over the course of the pandemic about what some economists were calling a K-shaped recovery. Um, and by this, they meant, um, you sometimes hear, is it a V-shape where it goes down fast and then back up fast? Or is it going to be U-shaped where it goes down and stays low before coming back for the economy as a whole? This K-shaped was a new one that people talked about where you have one leg of the K going up and one leg going down. And what you're pointing at is there is that down leg. A lot of people have been devastated by the impact of the COVID pandemic. You know, they've been out of jobs. Um, you know, there were extra unemployment benefits for a while that ran out for some of those people. Um, but still, unemployment doesn't you know, get you all the way there to where you were before in general. Uh, so yes, tremendous devastation, loss of life. Um, and people like that are certainly not saying, oh, I have extra unemployment money or a stimulus check or something, and now I'm going to put it in the, you know, in, in the stock market. They're probably just trying to pay the rent. But this other half of the K, that upward trend, a lot of people like me have been lucky to have a job that can be done from home. So when Schwab shut down all of their offices and sent everybody home in March of 2020, um, I still had a job. I still had a paycheck. And I'm not alone. A lot of office workers have been able to, thanks to the internet and the, the technology that we have now, um, they could still do their work remotely. And, and now they weren't traveling. They weren't in, you know, going for um, fun vacations overseas and, and so on, uh, which tended to mean people like that who still had a steady paycheck, maybe got some stimulus money too, but didn't have the cost of commuting and such, uh, weren't buying office clothes anymore. Some people found themselves with extra money on their hands. And so those lucky ones who were in the half of the economy that was still doing just fine um, over the course of the pandemic, some of them said, well, what am I going to do with this extra money? I can't blow it on something, you know, useless. Maybe I'll save for the long term. <laughs> maybe I'll yeah. put it into the market and uh, yeah. become an investor.
Well, thanks for pointing that out. It's a clear dichotomy, isn't it? Yes. Well, now we're going to get into the essence of the Looking Forward podcast. Aren't you excited? I am, yes. <laughs> okay. Over the next five years or so, what trends do you see unfolding, Michael, in ETF investing? For example, will there be a lot more players, i.e. managers in the industry, funds? Will they capture more mutual fund dollars from the traditional mm -hmm. mutual funds? Will there be more people investing in them? Will there be newfangled kinds of <laughs> funds, ETFs? Maybe there'll even be something that branches off from that. You know, who knows? What are you projecting? What are you seeing, Michael? Sure. Uh, definitely growth. Um, ETFs have been growing steadily for a long time. And this is not something where I see some kind of reversion to the mean and, oh, now it's going to shrink for a while. Like, no, no. Uh, investors have discovered ETFs really like the benefits they have, uh, and that's not going to reverse anytime soon. So we will continue to see uh, more dollars flowing in, um, more, more products, more companies playing in the industry. Um, that said, I think we'll also see some consolidation. You know, when you have almost 200 different ETF providers, it's not that surprising when you see news of one asset manager acquiring another one. You know, so somebody gets bigger by, by acquisition. So that will continue to happen. It's been a trend for a while now, and we'll see more of it. Um, but I think there will still be new entrants as well. So the total number of companies uh, who offer ETFs is very likely to increase. The question about mutual funds, we often see the story described for the last decade and a half now as investors moving money out of mutual funds and into ETFs. And, and that definitely is true. Uh, but really, if you look a little deeper, you know, your point earlier, Jeff, about oh, there's low-cost index funds already. Those have been around. The trend is largely out of high-cost funds and into low-cost funds. Now, yes, most ETFs are low-cost, and most mutual funds by number are higher-cost. And so the trend has been out of the higher-cost mutual funds into lower-cost ETFs. Um, but that's going to continue, I think, as investors say, you know, am I really confident that hiring uh, a manager that I'm paying a premium price for, you know, a higher fee for them to pick investments for me is going to pay off? I, I think investors have largely concluded over time, based on the data, that, you know, most of the time that doesn't happen. It definitely can. And, and my team does research on that. We try to find the funds with the best chance to, to outperform. We offer mutual fund lists as well. Um, but in general, I think investors are going to continue to say, I would like to have my cost be as low as possible, please. So I think ETFs will continue to benefit from that. That said, I do think that we've seen a bit of a turning of the corner for the active ETF market in the last year. Um, there have been some actively managed ETFs that are a little bit higher cost that have gotten a lot of attention for really eye-popping returns over the course of 2020. And I think that there is now an appetite among some investors, especially those who are looking for more excitement from their investments rather than just, I'm saving money for retirement, you know, decades in the future, um, some of them like the idea of an active manager using the ETF framework where they can still trade in and out during the day, um, but there's somebody who is trying to beat the market rather than just deliver the market returns like most ETFs do. So I think you will see more active ETFs, especially now there's some new structures you can do it in that are not fully transparent, which is another story, but not, not worth spending a lot of time on right now. So more active ETFs are going to happen, I think. And then one last that I'll, uh, I'll touch on is there's a trend toward what's called environmental, social, and governance investing, ESG. Um, it sometimes gets launched, lumped in with socially responsible investing, or SRI. 
But this is a form of investing where instead of just saying, I'm trying to buy companies to make as much money as possible, um, I want to grow as much as possible, maybe considering risk as well. Um, instead, it's saying, I also want to buy companies that align with some of my other values that are outside of just the profit and loss statement. So I want to invest in companies that are maybe trying to improve the environmental impact that we have. You know, Global warming is a concern. Are there companies that are doing better than others? Or companies that are focused on treating their workers fairly or their customers fairly uh, or focused on good governance practices so that they have you know, broad diversification of um, different types of people on their boards of directors, et cetera. Uh, that is a form of investing that's been around for quite a while. And that ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing, I think it's likely to keep growing. You're going to see more investors picking it up. Um, and I think it really has, that's also turned a corner in terms of being uh, something that is on the menu for a lot of investors as they get to know about it. Maybe I want to consider something other than just risk and return. Maybe these values come into play as well. And I think we'll see more of that over the next five years. Excellent. A few follow-up questions to what you just said, Michael. Sure. These socially conscious funds, which mm -hmm. you're referring to as ESGs nowadays, boy, they have been around for a while. Mm-hmm you see a greater interest in investing in them because they've been out there and I didn't yeah. feel like they were all that hot, yeah. hot in terms of popularity. That's right. And are we also connecting that in any way with ETF investing? Like, are there ESG ETFs? Yes and yes. So, okay. um, so what we've seen is for a long time, if you wanted ESG, some kind of environmental social governance focused investing, you were probably looking at a mutual fund or maybe a separately managed account, which is another vehicle that does similar things. And, uh, and ETFs, you know, that's not really where you would go for, for ESG investing. Uh, in the last couple of years, that has changed in terms of the dollars. So we've seen a few um, kind of blockbuster ETF product launches that have an ESG component to them. Uh, in a couple of cases, there was a, a specific European pension client who kind of approached some of the ETF companies and said, if you will build us an ETF that factors in these environmental, social, and governance factors, we will put a bunch of money into it right at launch. Uh, and I think that got a lot of investor attention, just the fact that these are some big products. And lately, the uh, the number of products from a number of different companies has really gone up a lot. So we've now seen a lot of different ETF providers saying, we have our standard lineup of index products to get you broad diversification to the stock market or the bond market in an ETF. And we also have an ESG version of that or another fund that is focused on these environmental social governance factors in the ETF wrapper. Um, that is also available to investors. So much more product launch in the ESG ETF space. A lot of acronyms there, I know. But these socially conscious exchange-traded yeah. funds, um, there, there's more and more of them. And we are seeing dollars flowing into them at a rate that we really hadn't in the prior 10, 20 years. Wow, that's interesting to see that mm -hmm. there's now a momentum in yes. that area. Exactly. Just to have you elaborate not too long only because of time, because I know you could talk for a while about this. <laughs> I'm thinking now of implications. Mm -hmm. What are the implications if I'm a mutual fund and I'm an actively managed mutual fund and I've got a fund manager and I'm paying that fund manager quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you've described it, I think people are more likely to be moving their money away from that, mm -hmm. maybe to an active manager on the ETF side, mm -hmm. or maybe just going index or passively, what are the implications for those funds and those managers? And also, where does individual stock buying fit in this? Because this is not about buying individual <laughs> stocks. 
So on the mutual fund side of things, if you're an active mutual fund manager and you've been doing this for a very long time, um, you will be just fine if you are delivering, frankly. Uh, it really is largely about performance when it comes to investor dollars and active funds. So those active managers who um, are successful in delivering what they're trying to deliver, you know, better returns than the market. You know, they hold up better when the market goes down. They, they go up more when the market goes up. Really hard combination to find. But those active managers who can do it, they gather the assets and, and consistently so. So those are not the funds that are bleeding assets. The ones that we see bleeding assets are funds that are kind of in line with the market. You're getting returns from an active manager that's sort of like what you'd get from an index fund, but at a much higher price. Um, that's where investors are saying, is it really worth it? So those managers, um, I think a lot of them are rethinking their model. You know, Is there something we could do to try to improve performance? Um, some of them, we're just starting to see a few mutual funds convert to an ETF structure, kind of a new thing where we haven't seen a lot of funds do it yet, but mm. it might help them have somewhat lower costs to manage the funds. So maybe they can charge a lower fee to investors. It's a little more efficient to run an ETF in some ways. So, so I think that will happen. Um, but, but some of those funds, you know, they might end up closing up shop. And, and we've seen that. There've been fund acquisitions, you know, one company buys another and they close down some of the less successful funds. And that's, that's natural. And then new funds will rise up to take their place as somebody has a new idea about how to manage money more effectively. To your question about individual stock investors, I don't think there's a lot of impact here um, to, to the growth of ETFs when it comes to individual stock investors. Sometimes you'll see um, people wondering if, hey, if we get to a world where you know the vast majority of, of money in the market is held within these index products where nobody is trying to figure out, is this company good or bad? Um, does that mean that a bad company, just because it happened to get included in the index, is still going to go up a lot in value as people plow money in, into the index, and uh, a good company is going to get ignored if it's not in the index. Uh, we really have not seen evidence for that, and I'm, I'm not at all worried about that. I think there is plenty of active money in the market, whether from individual investors or from these active either fund managers or other professional money managers out there who are still scouring the, the world for you know, the best, most undervalued companies or the ones that are likely to grow the most. Um, and I think that means that stock values uh, on the market are still going to generally reflect all the information that exists about it. This company that is very profitable and growing fast is probably going to have a high, pretty high price compared to this other company that maybe its best day is behind it and it's still making some money, but it's shrinking. That company's probably going to be uh, lower priced in general. And there's plenty of active money to, to keep those prices in line with reality. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Looking forward is also called looking forward because it's positive in its orientation. And one thing that people tend to look forward to is opportunities. Mm -hmm. And we like to share with our listeners where there might be opportunities, when there are opportunities, depending on the area. And that's what I'm going to pose to you. What opportunities do you see, Michael, in terms of jobs, careers, or ventures that would involve ETFs? And what recommendations would you make to our listeners in terms of how they might find the best ETF investment opportunities? Well, the ETF industry doesn't employ a huge number of people. Um, there, like I mentioned, there are you know 186 companies out there, yes, uh, but, but typically you're not going to see thousands of folks just managing an ETF in part because these ETFs are intended to be low cost. If you have a team of you know 25 analysts on every fund, that, that doesn't work very well. Yeah. So, um, so I, don't, I don't think there's likely to be a boom in hiring within, I'm gonna be an ETF manager. It's out there, but that's not a, a giant engine of job growth. Okay. 
Uh, but where there is a lot of growth right now is a, a lot of investors say, I want some kind of help or I want some kind of participation in the market. So I need to go to some company that can give me that access. So that's going to be a broker or a financial advisor or, or something like that. That is definitely an area of, of high growth. Despite the fact that you might think, oh, it's the age of the internet, everybody's going to do it themselves, they don't want to talk to a human when it comes to making an investment decision. Sure, that's true for some, but a lot of investors really want to have somebody they can talk to. Um, and I can go into an office and sit down with this person who can help me understand my finances and help me decide what to do next, or even do it for me. I'm going to you know, hire them to manage my money. Um, that is something that more and more investors are interested in. So I think there's going to be growth in those investment advisory or, or brokerage firm roles, um, mm -hmm. less so than in managing ETFs themselves. Uh, when it comes to the other half of investors wanting to take advantage of the opportunity that uh, the yes. ETFs offer, how do you find a good one? Um, and certainly I'll say that at Schwab, we do publish an ETF select list uh, to our investors. Uh, that's a great starting point. And this is where my team does research on the, the world of ETFs out there and says, you know, for all these different niches of, of the market, here are one or two ETFs that we think are really great at delivering that market at a low cost. It's nice and liquid. Um, so I think that's a great place to start, as well as other research tools. You can you know, do your own research if you want to screen by you know, performance and, and other metrics that you like. That's fine. There's, there's research tools at Schwab and at any broker out there. Lots of places you can do your own research. Uh, and of course, you know, for those investors I mentioned, uh, some of them don't want to do that research. They just want to use ETFs, but have somebody else pick the fund for them. Um, there are things out there, such as at Schwab, we have something called Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, where my team picks the ETFs and we we buy those ETFs for our clients. So that's called a robo-advisor. There's other things like that out there from other companies too. So if you like ETFs, but you don't want the pressure of having to pick an ETF for yourself, despite yeah. all the research resources, you can in fact hire somebody to do something like Schwab Intelligent Portfolios does and they'll buy them for you. Excellent. Here's something else I wanted to ask you if you could briefly talk about it. What would make a good ETF that would make the Schwab list? A lot of these, if they're passively managed, mm -hmm. are just holding a basket of stocks, let's say. Mm -hmm. And they may be holding very similar stocks. I don't know. Maybe that's what makes one better than another. What are a few differentiators or one or two differentiators that make you and your colleagues there, your underlings at Schwab and people at Morningstar say, this is a good one. Yeah. So the, the way we focus on it, the, the right way we think to do research on, hey, you have 25 different ETFs that would all give you exposure to this part of the market. We got to pick one. Which one do we pick? So we look at a few things. Um, first, we're talking about index ETFs here. So they're trying to deliver the return of some part of the market. We measure what's called tracking error. Most ETF managers do a really good job here. That just means they've got a list of stocks. Their portfolio should match that list of stocks very closely. And sometimes you'll have a portfolio, especially with bonds, there might be 8,000 different bonds that are in this index. And even a, a big ETF might not own all 8,000 of them, but it might own 1,000 or 2,000. And do they combine those in a way that matches the overall performance of the big 8,000 in a bond list? So that's, that's what we call tracking error is when you fail on that. If you have a, a big difference between what your portfolio does and what your index does. So we want to see very low tracking error. And again, most index ETFs do a very good job of this. Second is we look at how hard is it to trade the ETF? 
I mentioned before that with any stock or any ETF, you can look at something called the bid ask spread anytime the market is open. It would say, oh, you want to buy this thing? It'll cost you $41.15. Oh, but you want to sell it to me? Oh, I will pay you $41.10. So there's a five cent gap between those. Um, and that's you know somebody out there whose job it is to buy from this person and sell to that person at the same time. And the gap between those prices is their profit. You want to see a very, very small gap, a small bid ask spread. So we look for that to see is this one easier to trade? Um, because you know the higher cost you pay to trade, so that's less money that you have to invest. And then the last thing, um, and I'd say really the, the most salient thing that a lot of investors look at intelligently is what we call the operating expense ratio, that fee that the investment manager running the fund charges for their services. Um, with you know a traditional actively managed mutual fund, it's very common to see fees of you know one percent or higher, uh, which means that the value of the fund shrinks a little bit every day in a way that adds up to 1% of your assets every year. So if you started with $10,000, you know, $100 of your money is going to go to fees over the course of the year, a little bit every day with a 1% expense ratio. With exchange traded funds, you can find them in the say 2 one-hundredths of 1% or 3 one-hundredths of 1%, wow. you know, 0.02%, 0.03%. Um, occasionally, you'll see some that are at zero, um, but th wow. those are not very common, but they exist. So here, you're paying next to nothing compared to those, those higher cost active funds. Um, so $10,000, two or three bucks a year is, is being lost to those expenses at these really low cost funds. Um, so we like to compare that. If you have the cheapest fund in the category is at six one-hundredths of a percent, and then the next one is at 10, would rather have the one that's at six. Thank you very much. So you combine those together. Does it track its index well? Is it easy to trade? Um, and does it have a low cost of running it? Uh, and when those come together nicely, that's the fund we put on our list. Wow, that is very enlightening. As has <laughs> been this whole discussion, which leads me to asking you, how can our listeners find out more about you, Michael, about what you're doing at Schwab? and about anything you think they need to know about ETFs, whether it's through Schwab or not. Sure. So I think that um, the, the way to find what my team and I do is going to be at schwab.com. You know, go online and you can find us there. You can see the, the research section will have links to articles that I write and that my team writes. You'll see Emily Doak's name show up. She's my managing director of ETF research. So does most of this work on a day-to-day -day basis. You can also there go to schwab.com slash select list to find a link to both for mutual funds and for ETFs, the, the list of funds that we update every three months or so about here's our, our favorite picks. If you're going to buy an ETF right now in different categories, you know, all of our, our thinking is there. And then of course you can you know, go more broadly in, in the research tools if you want to screen for yourself and search for ETFs that have certain characteristics that you like. Um, you, you can find all that right there. So that's the best place to follow me is on Schwab.com. That's terrific. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that it was through a great article written by Emily Doak mm -hmm. that I ended up being connected with you, Michael. So my hat's off again to you, Emily, for introducing me to Michael. Michael, this has been terrific. I have to believe that our listeners have learned a lot more about ETFs and what's particularly relevant and important is how they can discern what might be a good ETF investment and that there are resources out there, whether they be the broker, the advisor, Charles Schwab and the products you put out, there are tools out there to help them if they want to go in that direction. So thank you again so much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you on Looking Forward today. I've been so happy to be here. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.